Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is the 14th of June, and we're going to be putting this out tomorrow. We have uh, this is our usual Tuesday episode, which is just the gang. <laughs> Should we have a better name than the gang? <laughs> the crew? <laughs> the squad? Pod, squ- pod squad? No, no pod one's squad called the squad before. Pod squad is not good. Um, okay, well, we'll, we'll st- we're going to stick a pin in pod squad. And, you know, one of those little things when you're like, needs improvement, but right idea, pod squad. Yeah, no um, one steal it. Yeah, no <laughs> I won't Google pod squad, but I'm pretty sure that we're going to be beat to that one. Um, All right. We have two topics today. Um, The first is uh, one that I think is on the minds of a lot of people and has become a central narrative in this country, uh, which is the lab leak. So we're going to go deep into the lab leak. (laughs) It's such a ominous when you say it. Well, it's supposed to be ominous. I mean, is it what else? Yeah. What other emotion should it lab leak? What other emo- like should I don't know how to actually do emotions through my voice. It's <laughs> a problem for a podcaster and you know someone who <laughs> at some point in his life was on television. Like, can you communicate the emotions of what you just wrote through your voice? I'm like, no, no, I'm try- I just did. And they're like, do it again. And I'm like, it just will sound exactly the same. I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. What are emotions? Um, Anyway, second half, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do, a, I don't know, I, it's not quite like a movie type thing that we did with, uh, you know, Chan is Missing, but uh, we're going to talk about the documentary, Who Killed Vincent Chin, and obviously the reason we're talking about it is because Vincent Chin has been in the culture news a lot, um, mm-hmm. and there's been many discussions about what the right way is to cover Vincent Chin. And so we'll just talk about all that. Um, Andy, Tammy, how are you doing? Good. Hey, you good. Uh, Tammy, good. I'm you, on the ocean. You're in like a very Zoom background <laughs> friendly atmosphere. Got yeah, like a, because I don't own this place. Oh, okay, I was going to say. <laughs> borrowed. A borrowed <laughs> friend of a friend's place on the Oregon coast. It's like intense potter, like in a good way. Pottery, pottery barn vibes that you're giving up. There's I was a confused. giant kimono behind me. Right, right, and like oh. a big plush couch and some mm-hmm. bookshelves. Yeah, um, yeah, very pottery barn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pottery barn has really the most comfortable furniture. I gotta say. I mean, it's I don't have any big. pottery. Yeah, it's like kind of the co- furniture <laughs> that you want in your house if you nobody ever came over. You know, it's like the most comfortable, <laughs> and then all the other. St- silly mid-century modern stuff is like so uncomfortable it's like scratchy and gross i don't know i think if i had a house it'd be <laughs> like very a pottery bound and i do have a house but you know if it were up to me i would have three i would have a pottery bound ca- barn couch and like three bean bags and a giant <laughs> television that would be it <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway lab leak um all right andy uh <laughs> What I this is within your purview, right? Like what what's like we've heard <laughs> yeah. about this so much now, you know, and I will admit that over the past month I've sort of not paid too much attention to it. And it's not because I don't think it's important. It's just because like I think it's uh um, you know, like I just don't quite know what to make of it because, you know, I've read up a little bit on it and I'm not quite sure 
where to orient my thoughts. Like I do have some thoughts Mm -hmm. about the way in which it's being used in the culture war, but overall, like, you know, it just seems like nobody knows anything. So where are we right now with this thing? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think we're relitigating a lot of stuff that happened over a year ago when it was the most important thing in the world. And now it seems like it's not being treated that way at all. I think, you know, people are, at least in the United States are returning to their normal life and more concerned with like restaurant reservations than this stuff, right? <laughs> um, I mean, one way to start is, you know, in the New York Times today, there was a, kind of this uh, covert interview with uh, the famous, famous, I guess, virologist, the only famous virologist out of China, uh, Shi Zhengli, who ran the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is allegedly where COVID might have leaked from a year ago. And, you know, she... She's answering these questions over and over. She's been answering them for over a year now about whether or not COVID started in her lab and leaked out of her lab. Um, the reason this is kind of being debated, you know, in what, June 2021 still is, or why this debate has been renewed is in May. So I guess last month, early last month, um, there was an article that came out in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, which might be worth talking about. What is that publication? Um, I think by Nicholas Wade is the author, and he is like writes about science mm-hmm. for the New York Times. Right, kind of reviving this debate that I think most people consider dead, uh, because you know the WHO and all these international institutions had called lab leak a conspiracy theory, not worth entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and Wade, I think all these articles are saying like we have no evidence, right, that the lab leak is true. Nothing has changed since this time last year. On the other hand, it's almost like media criticism. It's like on the other hand, the media slash government institutions were too rash in dismissing it. And here's all this evidence that suggests that it should definitely be in play as a possibility. Uh, yeah. So, and the two are like lab leak versus like natural nature. Weather, uh, we right? should, the, the pangolin theory. Yeah. <laughs> we should say that Wade yeah. himself is pretty controversial figure to say oh, yeah. the least. Right? Definitely. Um, the, he put out a book um, about heredity Right. And I think it's called Troublesome Inheritance. Right. I remember I was, this is when I was working at The New Yorker and there's a huge debate about it. And a bunch of faculty members, science scientists came out and uh, basically wrote that, you know, the book was extremely flawed. And, um, you know, it's and a, a bit it, like race sciency. Right. Well, like that it, was, yeah. Well, that was the, the basis question. Of the right? criticism. It was kind of yeah. like about how race groups are real and race and oh, they have wow. inheritances and. Um, you know, some of those are linked to intelligence, all the same stuff that's endlessly debated over and over again. And Wade certainly is along the same lineage as, uh, you know, Dr. James Watson. I don't know why I said doctor, but, you know, James Watson. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like for all, you know, race scientists, I need to do the proper, no, James Watson or um, Charles Murray, um, like that type of that type of and he, yeah is he, and he's currently a new york times reporter no he uh, he left no. the times before writing that book okay. but he had been at the times for as a correspondent for some time and yeah. he wow this isn't really brought up that much well i mean in the stuff i've been reading i guess it's well known among you know oh yeah know. i mean wade is you know wade's a very controversial figure mm. um now people can argue whether he should be or shouldn't be you know i think he should be you know if, if you're making these claims and you certainly are inviting controversy people should question it right yeah and a lot of people did now um you know so anyway just to add some context to wade himself there yeah yeah, yeah no i mean this stuff is super 
interesting to read because I think, you know, I, I'd be curious to hear what you all think. When I read these articles, half the time my emotions and conclusions are basically going back and forth. Like, like right, yeah. of course. Yeah, that's the interesting this, part about it. That's yeah. that's that's a culture war stuff. We'll talk about that yeah. soon. Okay, yeah. so then like, um, I mean, yeah, the, like what, what is basic, sort of the, what's the narrative out there right now? The, yeah, like, the basic facts. Like what happened? Right? The basic facts haven't changed. I think the takeaways are that there's still zero evidence of wild transmission you know no more evidence than there was last year and the wet market was pretty much cleaned up in january so the data there's no new data that's ever going to be come out of the wet market um or actually the seafood market in wuhan um (laughs) and i think what has a lot of people mad is that the chinese government has kind of refused to really be fully transparent and we could talk Mm -hmm. about whether or not that's unique or all do all governments basically act the same way when this happens um, right. when some sort of international scrutiny happens like this. Um, there was, I believe, a sort of WHO mission to investigate it, but it wasn't really an investigation. They just kind of sat in hotel rooms and looked at pre-curated data and came away saying there's yeah. no evidence for a lab leak. And ultimately, what Wade was complaining about, and what a lot of people have latched on to, is the fact that they feel like um, the WHO and... Uh, a lot of scientists writing for so-called neutral but very prestigious publications like the Lancet and Science Journal or Science Magazine, right? They all dismiss the lab leak out of hand, but maybe they all have conflict of interest and they're obfuscating or obscuring more investigations. And they really feel like the the, the real problem is lack of transparency um, on the part of the Chinese government, but also by including like United States or international scientists organization but also the media right and part yeah. of the yeah part of the accusation is that the media in an attempt to be woke quote unquote is like covering this up because they don't want to like inspire a wave of anti-asian violence or some some totally obscure thing right and i think or like foreign policy right right problems i think that's part of it i think in a more cynical way they were just trying to own trump uh, right, because, right because trump and pompeo yeah. were latching onto lab leak and they would kind right. of uh, you know, talk about how they're concerned about anti-Asian violence, but they really wanted just to make sure Trump lost, you know? Totally. Um, right, or that Trump was wrong about every single thing about... Yeah. <laughs> um, including, like, you know, this was a lot of the stuff about antivirals at the beginning of the coronavirus, right, with, like, hydroxychloroquine, for yeah. example, and right. that it seemed like... Uh, I don't know, I don't know. It seemed like there was such an effort at that point to discredit hydroxychloroquine as having any sort of positive impacts, and I would say that I'd have no idea if hydroxychloroquine had positive or negative impacts on patients. It do, it did, and uh, I would imagine that there's you know a good answer to that. And yet, it did seem like some people were really trying to make it seem like it was killing people, and that it had zero positive impacts. When I don't know, I think the science was a little bit more ambiguous about it, you know, um, yes. and that people didn't know. And that in an emergency situation like that, you know, trying to find cheap antivirals that are produced everywhere in the world and see if they have a positive effect, of course, that was like an okay thing to do. Now, should Trump stand up and say, we've solved it? Obviously not, you know, but like, uh, like, you know, it seemed like the impulse to do that went far behind beyond that. And that's, I think that was also true of Lab Leak, right? It was just like, everything this guy says is wrong, right? right? And we have to assume that it's all wrong and it's all a lie. Yeah. Um, which might have been a perfectly fine way to go about it, honestly. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you're starting from any assumption, base assumption, maybe that's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we can 
one of I'm mean, going to talk about our conclusions at the end, but I'm still sort of on the fence of whether or not we even need to figure find out where where it came from. If maybe mm-hmm. it's just the Pandora's box that'll kind of cripple the political like cooperation, international right, cooperation, right, of all course, stuff yep. that's needed. Um, I think the other thing that is thrown that's kind of been thrown out there in in the discourse is um, maybe extra attention being paid to this idea of gain of function research, right? Which is a fancy way of saying, I guess. You know, I didn't know any of this stuff either, that virologists will sometimes like enhance natural viruses to just to see what would happen. And maybe that helps right. them figure out vaccines. Um, not necessarily, not definitely not like bioweapons as far as no one's saying bioweapons, right? But there is this, um, so uh, the the argument out there is like, well, whether or not it was intentional, I mean, no one would th- say it was intentional, but there is no need for this kind of research because mm-hmm. if gain of function research is what turned COVID from a naturally occurring virus to this uh, virus that, you know, some people claim was designed to infect humans at a very like prepackaged, ready, ready to go way. Then, you know, even if we are as careful as possible, we should just never do this again. Yeah. Um, and that is a almost super political, like super national question. That's not US yeah. versus China. That's nothing. Um, yeah, I guess that's the other thing that's kind of, claimed by um, Wade is that, you know, it's a year later and no one has come up with any naturally occurring virus that looks anything like Corona or COVID. Um, So maybe, you know, he's not saying this, but he's saying like the possibility that it's human engineered and the byproduct of gain of function research is still a possibility. Like there hasn't been um, a that China, right. That, that, that they claim is close enough. Nobody except the most batshit crazy people on Facebook are saying that this is purposely leaked, right? Right. Right. And how do Fauci's, uh, like, how does Fauci fit into this? Because I know that he's become, like, part of this conversation as well. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not, Fauci is part of it, but I think more broadly there's, like, um, there's United States scientists who were part of funding and supporting this kind of research. Um, one name that shows up over and over is this guy, Peter Daszak, Daszak, D-A-S-Z-A-K, whose organization helped to fund the Wuhan Institute. Um, and uh, and more generally, there's just like international cooperation between scientists in this field, yeah. and I'm sure many other fields, just like there is in probably lots of academic fields. Um, one of the arguments sort of the pro-Wade arguments is to point out the fact that Daszak and uh, Fauci and maybe other United States-based scientists who helped pen these op-eds last year saying it definitely wasn't lab leak, right? That a lot of them might have conflicts of interest. Um, Because they had indirectly or directly funded the Wuhan lab. Yeah. So like if it came out of, if it was a lab leak from Wuhan, then people might ask questions, well, where did the money from Wuhan come from? And it's very sort of you know, I don't know if it's overly simplistic, but, you know, this if you follow the money, it co- leads back to the United States government. So the United States government is guilty, et cetera. Um, that, so there's this kind of conspiratorial, did Fauci and Daszak and other international, and the WHO, like, did they conspire to rule out lab leak um, on political mm-hmm. rather than scientific grounds? Um, right. and it should be said that Fauci, I mean, the other kind of headline news is that Biden officially said something sometime last month, like the United States wants to reopen an investigation into this. And I guess it was actually a topic at the G7 meeting. Yeah, you said it yesterday at G7, that they would reopen an investigation. And that, you know, he said some 
weird stuff about China. But yeah, he <laughs> seems to have brought it back up. I bet he was still um, over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, so let, let's, uh, I don't like, you said that basically your emotions are conflicting with your read of it and they tend to run the other way, like opposite ways. What does that mean? I think when you read, like, for instance, the weight article or the summaries of the weight article, you start to think like, it's got to be, it's got to be from this lab. Come on. Right. Then... Well, the other part <laughs> about that, which I've always thought from the very beginning, is just like, you know, at some point someone took like a Google image, Google, like some sort of photo you know, like Google image. I don't even know if they have that in China, whatever the Chinese version of it is. And they showed the market that it's supposed to come from. And then they like kind of, they scrolled over like a tiny bit. And now (laughs) (laughs) I was like, come on. You know, it's like, it's not like it was like a half block away or six buildings. It's like legitimately across the street, you know, it's like as close to me and like my neighbor's house right now. And then I was like, well, you know, in my head, I was like, okay, come on. You know, it's like, basic, <laughs> like what, what are you, what are we talking about here? Of course it's from there. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that it is, you yeah. know, but it's like, like once you see that, how could you put it out of your mind in good faith that it, that might've come from the place yeah, yeah, where they sure. would actually, yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is like, yeah, the possibility has to be out there. It can't be ruled out in advance. But then when I finished the article and I find out that like Nicholas Wade is a race scientist, I'm like, ugh, <laughs> like, like, well, no, no, I feel yeah, good. Yeah. He is on definitely on. <laughs> look, we don't have to speculate about Nick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicholas Wade. He's like, not the only motives one this, in yeah. writing this, right. but he certainly has found himself on one side of the culture war consistently throughout his career. Mm, I was gonna and say, yeah. um, he is the type of guy who will shrug his shoulders and be like, "Well, it's just science, you know. Stop, right. you know, stop being upset. Um, right. uh, it's just this is just what the science says." And in sometimes in the past, he has been accused by his colleagues of mis actually of actually misrepresenting what the science actually says, which is really what all this comes down to in the broader sense, right? Like it doesn't really matter. It matters obviously geopolitically, but like in the minds of Americans trying to figure out how, where this thing came from, right? Or like what to do about it or how their lives have been different. It's really matter if it leaked out of a lab or if it came out of animals, like we're already fucked. You know, like, like the the damages have already happened. That's the thing. I think, you know, I was kind of like going through the events of last year in my head and like, oh, there's a lot of things we've probably already forgotten. And it is seductive now to just pin pin the blame on a new target. But if you do go through all the events, like there's a lot of ways in which the lab doesn't really matter to the unfolding of the pandemic. Um, I don't know. But even as I say that now, I'm like, I mean, unless you think China knew the whole time. You know, yeah, and yeah. just lied about it the right. whole time, which I think is the assumption that a lot of these people right. are making. Which, um, and yeah, there's ways, there's all sorts of permutations. Like China leaked it, but didn't know. They leaked it, but did know it was intentional. It was unintentional. Right. Um, what what, what about stuff. you, Tammy? I think it matters. What do you think? I mean, like, I think... What, how, do you feel like the same conflict of emotions and, and intellect, Andy, does? Yeah, I do. And I, I mean, I was going to just add that I think it, I agree that like on a day-to-day matter for most people, it probably doesn't matter that much, but I think it matters a lot in terms of, you know, obviously like scientific protocol, but also like the implications for international cooperation in the scientific sure. sector, which, you know, obviously we care about. And, um, but yeah, I think like there's another piece that I really liked by friend of the pod, Yang Yang Cheng in vice where she kind of goes through like how this is so manipulated by you know politicians and like 
the general, just like because of the kind of anti-China piece, like that part of it really matters to people and has implications for like how we relate to each other. And there's a part in the essay towards the end where she just says like, you know, viruses don't have politics and they don't have an identity and they don't care about this, you know? And I think like, it's, it's an obvious point, but I think it, I think it is important. And yeah, I think that's kind of, that's some of the sort of whiplash that I go through when I read. Yeah. There's just, uh, there's obviously the scientific opacity, especially, you know, since we aren't scientists. And I think there's also, you know, political opacity. Like, yeah. I don't know how the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party really works. And I think Yang Yang's yeah. piece is a good corrective to say it's not this evil, it, rather than saying it's an evil force with one voice, it's probably better to think of it as the opposite, as this bureaucratic machine with lots of totally. conflicting, fragmented information and people just look out for their self-interest. That resonates as true to me based on my very limited life experience dealing right. with some party members, but that's not to say like, that's how this happened. You know, <laughs> like that's, I don't want to like make a huge leap. Like, well, I met, I dealt with some officials once and um, at the, at the border and this is exactly how it worked. So <laughs> that, that must be how the lab, you know, um, yeah. Andy yeah. study. Of that'd be a great, that'd be a great Twitter thread, you yeah. know, like a personalized Twitter thread. Um, Okay, I want to read something about, you know, let's the meat of this thing. And I think what we should talk about it is just like, you know, how the effects I I agree with you, Tammy, it has huge implications in geopolitical issues, right? It's going to be extremely bad for China if the majority of the world believes this, you know, I would say that already here in the United States, the majority of people who are aware of the lab leak theory probably give it a lot of credence. You know, I don't, yeah. I think it's a very small so. number of people who know about it and are basically like, there's no way that's true. Right. Um, <laughs> just because like, you know, I don't know, you have eyes and you have, you, you obviously like, there's never been a pandemic like this in a hundred years. Right. Uh, everyone says it originated next to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and I don't know. It's, technically, it's across the Yangtze River, but yeah, it's in the same place. Right, right. But it's like basically like you're saying like, well, okay, you know, we're going to, um, I don't know. I don't even know what the right analogy is, but like you're, you know, you're like next to like a gigantic, who, who knows? I actually can't think of the right thing, you know, but you're just <laughs> like, okay, this thing came from this thing right next to it. And um, it's pretty rare, but like. Uh, okay, I want to read something from Thomas Frank, right? Um, this was in The Guardian. Uh, he, he writes, and I want you both to respond to this. In the years since, and for complicated reasons, liberal leaders have labored to remake themselves into defenders of the professional rectitude and establish legitimacy in nearly every field. In reaction to the fool Trump, liberation, uh, liberalism made a sort of cult out of science expertise in the university system, executive branch, quote, norms, the, quote, intelligence community, the State Department, NGOs, the legacy news media, and the hierarchy of credentialed achievement in general. I think we all agree with that, right? Like, this is sort of like the resistance, like, listen to science, you know, yeah. orange man, technocratic, bad, response. technocratic yeah. like, you know, like, this person doesn't even know how to read, this person doesn't know X, Y, and Z, <laughs> listen to experts type of stuff that we heard for four straight years, right? That was honestly extremely... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> boring is <laughs> boring is the right word. <laughs> it will soon start to dawn on people that our mistake was not insufficient reverence for scientists. This is he's right, writing this later in in relation to the lab leak, or inadequate respect for expertise, or not enough censorship on Facebook. It was a failure to think critically about all of the above to understand that there is no such thing as absolute expertise. Disaster is brought to you by the total self-assured un- unit unanimity of the highly educated people who are supposed to know 
what they're doing, plus the total complacency of the highly educated people who are supposed to be supervising them, right? And he's talking about this sort of like uh, disaster that's coming for this class of people, right? And that the lab leak will be sort of this like seminal event if it ends up being widely held. That basically, and I think this has already happened, by the way, you know? Like, well, that's I think how he explains that, Trump, yeah. Right, and yeah. but I also think it's, I don't think it's just like, you know, who you would think is doing this, which are like, you know, I don't know who the person you have in your head is, but I'm sure most people think of like some white, you know, middle-aged woman who is like a mother and like, you know, is an anti-masker and anti-vaxxer, Karen type video person. Like this is widespread now, you know, like that's sort of like where Nate Silver, Matt Iglesias, like, uh, you know, like all these guys are basically saying like, we, we have a credentialism problem here in the United States when it comes to mm. epidemiology, you know, early on in the pandemic, uh, Tyler Cowen wrote like one of the funniest blog posts I think I've ever read. I talk about it with one of my friends all the time, but Tyler Cowen basically was like, who are epidemiologists? You know, like, like we, we trust these people now with our entire lives and every single thing in yeah. America, but like, are they actually smart? Yeah. Like, aren't they just all medical school dropouts who like couldn't hack it on the MCAT? And they're like, you know, it's like, oh he, was like he was like, what's their GRE that. score? You know, like, what's their average salary? And he was basically saying that like <laughs> epidemiologists are like a bunch of broke dudes who are, you know, broke yeah. people who like can't, who like couldn't hack it. They're not actually that smart, yeah. which is Terrible. very funny because like, so you funny. know, when I asked uh, my father about the same question, he was like, Psh epidemiologists who would ever listen to them yeah, yeah. they're like the economists of the medical world <laughs> well yeah. not even economists i just think they're like basically like the sociologists of the you know like of the oh, medical that's, not that's to say low, anything bad Jay. not anything to say anything bad about sociologists but that's how they're viewed by the other hard yeah. science well that's how you know? i think of economists so like, yeah. yeah like so my dad's just like you know like what do they they just sit around and like make little charts and they wait every 55 years for a pandemic to break out you know they're, they're like basically just saying like these are Chase not dad. this is not the best of the best you yeah, know yeah, right. um but now look let me say to all of that i personally don't believe that i think that they're great epidemiologists and i think that they do a lot of great work and yet this i'm just saying that it's not just like the stereotypical trump voter who thinks this yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. It's basically like everyone who thinks this, you know, like they're sick of like having to defer to uh, to to this type of expertise stuff, you know, and like I would say that like the legitimate version of this is that like, you know, they're all the sorts of reviews like peer review and stuff like that. All of that has been proven to be bullshit, too. You know, like I was just like, going to oh, say this like- intersects with like the preprints thing that you were right, obsessed right. with early on, Jay. <laughs> right. Well, OK, I will say that early on in the pandemic, I was much aligned with Tyler Cowan and Nate Silver and I was like, epidemiologist. <laughs> yeah. The fuck, you know, <laughs> it's like Jay's reading preprints until like 4 a.m. every day. Like, yeah. Why am I listening to these dorks? You know, I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like Jay's going to med school now in his heart. <laughs> that was so true. I was just like, what was, what was her MCAT score? You know? <laughs> Andy and how I much, were like, what's a preprint? How much yeah. money do they make? Um, but uh, I don't know. But a lot of that for me was like spurred by the fact that I think that like peer review is like pretty much bullshit, you know. And so you have like five, you know, the he- like, of course, the five most famous epidemiologists who are at Stanford and Harvard or whatever and Princeton or whatever are going to basically own this conversation. Right. Um, and they're the ones who do all the peer review. 
they have beefs, right? Remember at the beginning, there was a, all the dudes at Harvard hate, hated that say. one dude at Stanford. Yeah. And the entire discourse about like what the pandemic was was like basically broken down between the dudes at Harvard screaming at the dudes at <laughs> at, at, at Stanford who hated some guy at University of Washington. And you're like, I can't fucking <laughs> handle this. It's like going to like some sort of epidemiology conference, except like our lives are on the line, you know? So I think yeah. I think that people are sick of this. Like I think what. Uh, Thomas Frank. Who is Thomas Frank again? He's like, it's like what's the matter I, for some with reason Kansas? What's the matter with Kansas? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He's been on this, yeah. the Democrats. I've read that, yeah. Or have fucked themselves over by aligning themselves with right, the right, yeah, for yeah, 20 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys think about that book? I read it. I thought it was like, I don't know. I thought it was like right in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think aren't there a lot of criticisms of it now? Yeah, because people don't like economic reductionism. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I, we talked about it a little bit when Tommy was on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tommy had some criticisms of it. I think. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, but this is a very Thomas Frank take, which is like yeah. Remember those like yes. those like blankets and towels you would get with like a monkey face on them, like cartoon monkey. That's Robert Frank, right? Uh, Wait, I what? Think I kind of know what you're talking about, but that's definitely not just Thomas Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he has two careers. <laughs> okay, he's yeah, a Frank. He he's a Frank. Yeah. I know. He's I was like. Lisa wrote, Frank is a different illustrator, but it's the Lisa Frank. Okay, no, that's um, different. That's like psychedelic stuff from when I was in fourth oh, grade. Wait, hold on. Yeah, isn't like unicorns and stuff? Yeah, it's like bright pink, like Trapper Keeper. Lisa Frank, yeah. Trapper Keeper. No, it's not. It's not Robert <laughs> Frank. Maybe I miss. Maybe I miss. It might be confusing too. Anyway, the point being, I think this is already here. What do you guys think? What about the about Thomas's ring? This about, rupture. You read? This like revelation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. yeah. yeah. Tammy, you go. I don't know, Andy. Do you do you want to start? I mean, I have thoughts. But... Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, it sounds like a very Thomas Frank, like sky is falling kind of piece. Like he does this every on every issue. Like the Democrats are going to have to pay. And maybe he's right. You know, like this was his big take. I mean, I feel like after the Kansas book, he, I didn't hear about him for ten years until Bernie came along, and he was like, "Bernie is winning because the Democrats." have screwed themselves over because of meritocracy discourse and so on. I think he is, I mean, I think he definitely has a point here. And I think, I forget if it was this piece or like another one I was reading that was saying like, like you were saying, Jay, a year ago, everyone said trust science. And the very same people who said trust science were the same people who are saying it's not the lab leak um, in a way that seems a little hasty, right? Uh, in, In hindsight. Right, and right, I, right, I think right. that juxtaposition is 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 quite. Uh, I have a visceral reaction when you think about it that way. Um, uh, now his broader point that like all expertise is political and so on, eh, you know, that's like that's not that helpful. You know, <laughs> like I don't know what you do with that information. I think he's right though that I, I mean I think what you're kind of referring to, what you're talking about, Jay, is like the sort of unveil, like the curtain has been lifted on a lot of these things, like peer review, like. The, the so-called anonymous institutions that tell us the truth. Mm-hmm. They actually like are right. human beings who hate each other, you know? Um, yeah, petty yeah. human. Right, and, right. And it's like a big like, also, right? like, I'm sorry, who the fuck are you moment <laughs> to everybody, you yeah. know? Like, anyone All the who, gatekeeping, like, yeah. Yeah, anyone who basically is like, I am X. Everyone's like, excuse me, but who the fuck are you, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably very bad for society for this to be happening, but it also seems to be necessary in some sorts of ways, right? It's like, like it's probably... Um, always been true we just couldn't see it you know like i'm sure right, the right, right. scientific authorities during the spanish flu or whatever the correct term to use is right we're also like just human beings who hated each other you know um but we just 
we didn't, you know, we didn't have access to that stuff. Um, so I and think it's, you know, I guess, so, yeah, I don't know. In yeah. their defense, I will say the yeah. most top epidemiologists are like, this is going to be really fucking bad. And guess what? It was really fucking bad. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was so, gonna say. So, I feel so like it's not like they, they were did, wrong. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they were actually right. right. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when they were like, like, they're like, maybe four hundred thousand people will die. And I was like, Psh, yeah, right. And then it's like, no, they were, you know, they underestimated if yeah, anything. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, yeah. like, you know, there's some value in this, and yet I think this is the part that Frank is right about. That, um, like, I, I think that the, you know, there's sort of a palpable like, hey, this needs to happen, and this is. You know, uh, I don't know. I think it's probably bad for society that this is happening overall. You know, maybe it's worse for society to have like a bunch of fraudulent experts, but like it's better to have good experts that people listen to, you know? And I think the thing that people are rightfully questioning are whether or not these are actually good experts or not. Tammy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go Mm. ahead. No, no, no. I, I guess my frustration with Frank's analysis, and maybe this is, me being defensive of the media on some level, but I do think that um, it wasn't just that there was like a, a, a sort of politically expedient consensus that people immediately glommed onto. It was also that the pu- there was a lot of public pressure to have some sort of explanation that was robust, that could be carried out, that could be, that could help us tell our story and then move on to like deal with like the mass death around us, yeah, you know? And right. I don't, I think that, yeah, obviously that relates to the fact that if you have like an established power structure, like everything will kind of support that. But I don't think it was so like, yeah, just like politically like Manichaean in the way that he describes. And I don't yeah. think most things work that way, you know? And yeah. so I think it's a little bit oversimplified in the way that Andy described. And um, and also like, I don't know, I don't want to sound like a technocracy loving like elitist, but I do think like, I, I also want to live in a world with, yeah, experts I can trust and that in, you know, I want to believe in science. And I do think that there were good journalists that and other people that were trying to guide us through, you know, and say like from the top, like science is also a thing that takes time and that has so much uncertainty. And even in the Wade critique in, in the bulletin, he's saying like there's no clear answer between like the natural animal explanation and yeah. the lab leak. Like we we can't say for sure. Yeah. yeah so I, I'm going to help you lay this out. I think that the one thing I think is that in the total span of everything that was covered in the pandemic, that this actually is quite small, mm-hmm. right? It's the one thing that people can point to as being politically motivated or perhaps yeah. quote, woke motivated. Um, mm-hmm. But in like, you know, all the other stuff, like everything that Ed Young wrote about, the stuff that like Zainab uh, was writing about, mm-hmm. the yeah. stuff that like, and I, here I'm just talking about the media, right? Because a lot of this is about exactly, the media. Yeah. But the coverage of it, I don't think people have that much problem with, right? It's just the lab leak stuff. It's yeah. the one part that might seem like it was motivated by, motivated by something. I also think that yeah. a lot of the critics of this are like basically just talking about Twitter, you know? And mm-hmm. I want to read yeah, something from like Maddie Glacius, right. which I, you know, like, look, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't really, I, I've basically come to a piece with Maddie Glacius, just like whatever, like, you know, I find his housing provocations to be interesting and, um, his culture war stuff, I just skip. It's fine. But he, he wrote in Slow Boring, which is the name of his Substack, um, that uh, he says that social media is truly social in the sense that it features incredible pressures to form in-groups and out-groups and then conform to your group. Um, my strong suspicion is that, uh, that this is true across all domains of expertise and is creating a lot of bubbles of fake consensus that can become very misleading, right? 
Now, my argument to Matty Iglesias would be that, like, he is the leader of one of the biggest <laughs> bubbles. He's the biggest bubble. <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> the econ chart dude bubble, yeah. right? Which is like him and, like, they talk to each other all day long. You know, it's like him and yeah. the fucking, uh, that dude at the Atlantic. Stoller? Derek or something. And, oh, yeah. yeah uh, there's different like, ones. Uh, There's like prestige Nate, ones. Nate Silver. Yeah. And like all, journalism yeah, like that, that's, that's like a bubble. Yeah, it's a bubble. Ones, yeah. 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 Or like, uh, and that um, there's nothing that created more consensus about the coronavirus than that for that. Wow, my cat came downstairs. Uh, then that that that, <laughs> sure that, if that was that, your kid or your cat. I know. That was my cat. <laughs> then that part of the media, you know, like that was sort of, yeah. um, they, they're the ones who, Look, it's not like somebody like Mark Lipsitch, right? Who's the endocrine, uh, the whatever epidemiologist at Harvard. It's not like anybody knows who Mark Lipsitch is. It's because journalists Google Harvard epidemiology department yeah. and picked the number one, the top name that comes out, right? Like that's a way of making consensus. It Pretty doesn't much. really have too much. It's not just because of Twitter, because that sort of stuff existed before, yeah. you know. And so, like. The idea that like nobody wants to discuss a lab leak because like uh, there are massive pressure bubbles in Twitter, like come on, you know yeah. the bigger the yeah. bigger massive pressure bubble in Twitter right now, I think are very much why is nobody talking about the lab leak? you know yeah. um, I don't think it's like the opposite right <laughs> now. You think you yeah. so you think like um, you think that actually there is consensus that we should talk about the lab leak and no one's actually stopping anyone from talking about the lab leak. Like if, if it's, it's the. You talk about it every day. Joe you, Biden right, just yeah. said we should talk about it. Right. You know, like yeah. who's left? Like so there actually is, you know, no, is no cover up. <laughs> yeah. It's like five people on Twitter, you yeah. know, who are like scared that it's going to lead to anti-Asian racism. It's like, you can ignore all five of those people. Trust me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they don't well, have any power in the discourse. That's Half yeah. of them are novelists. That that is the question. I think I don't know if you want to enter, entertain this scenario, but like, let's say it was proven to be, or some some statement came up that to say like it probably was a lab leak. What what is the consequence? Is it going to be an uptick in anti Asian violence? Is it going to be lots of like huge uptick in like conspiratorial anti Fauci? Like Fauci loses his job, and all these other scientists, you know, get mm. publicly, um, you know, uh, like they have. A, public trial or something for their for their cover up like is it going to be like an is it going to land as an anti-expertise thing an anti-asian thing um that's what i can't really figure out um and and that's the kind of thing where i don't know it's like a journalist can't answer that question it's more like what is how does the general public think about this maybe they don't care like maybe we're maybe we're exaggerating the importance of this because we're all you know well, okay. One of the experts who like follow this stuff, right. but most people don't. Let's talk about like the most, you know, the. I, I've been reading a lot of people. Like, there's a seems to be a lot of Asian people who are basically saying that talking. I don't think they're saying this, but they're saying that promoting the lab leak theory, aggressively promoting the lab leak theory, talking about it when there's not enough evidence to do so, is going to in unfairly trigger anti-Asian hate crime attacks, right? And that will lead to anti-Asianness in the United States. Now, I don't think any of these people would say that if the lab leak was absolutely certifiably true, we shouldn't talk about it, right? Yeah. But there's just saying there's not enough evidence to be promoting it as truth. And that um, since it does have these social outcomes, we shouldn't discuss it at all, 
Yeah. Or that we should discuss it last. What do you think about that? I guess what my question around that, like the domestic consequences of that within the United States or North America would be like, is that any more true than the pangolin theory? Yeah. You know, I mean, basically right. it points to some sort of obfuscation or like, you know, some sort of misconduct on the Chinese government, perhaps. That's the additional part that isn't contained in the pangolin piece. Yeah. But I mean, my concern would probably be more with like how the Democrats would use it in terms of foreign policy, because it would adds to this their sort of general like, you know, which is essentially bipartisan strategy of kind of like demonizing China and characterizing them as doing certain things that we are not happy about. Yeah. Um, and, and could also obviously have like, repercussions for international cooperation on like you know yeah. important mm-hmm. research and stuff but i don't i don't i feel like the domestic argument isn't so strong the domestic argument meaning anti that this violence. would lead to yeah like a wave of anti-asian yeah. violence of the kind that we have not seen when we thought the pangolin theory was true for instance i don't know i mean it just yeah because I, I think get that part i think the anti-asian uh like idea would be something like the chinese government is to blame because they covered it up uh, co- cover up the lab leak, I guess, but they definitely, that's already out there. Like you could say, right. That's uh, the right. Thing. Like the status quo, like, sorry, the, the uniqueness, the non-unique aspect of it, debate jargon is to say that already oh in the status God, quo, <laughs> already in the status quo, <laughs> this, you have this very valid theory that wherever it started, the Chinese government covered it up and they are the ones. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I guess the lab leak, and so the lab leak gets kind of papered over as like they intentionally leaked it or it was a bioweapon or something like crazy like that, obviously. But um, yeah. Yeah, like, that would be worse. I think the most likely yeah, scenario, that would be worse. the most likely, the most innocent lab leak scenario. Well, the other thing is, I think, the other thing that I think people have to remember is like until March, this was a Chinese disease or it was perceived as a Chinese disease. So to the extent the Chinese government was covering it up, they were covering it up from their own mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. And so, you know, as as malicious as we think the Chinese government is and the CCP is in terms of like hurting other countries, they they wouldn't like do this to intentionally hurt their own people. Now, you could say like because of their incentives to retain, you know, stability and legitimacy and all that stuff, they covered up stuff that hurt their own people. That I think is very believable. Yeah, I think that's believable. Right. I, but, I but they wouldn't like... like intentionally hurt their own people oh yeah yeah and if it's like a bioweapon against wuhan nobody seriously really thinks i think that even the people who are like most aggressively lab leak people i think they think it was a lab leak you know like i don't think they think it was like bio (laughs) to the extent like it they they didn't say like the big i don't know nerdy thing to focus on is like it wasn't until january 20th when they said human to human transmission was possible and everyone was like that's way too late well I, th- I don't think you can come up with a scenario where the Chinese government intentionally covered it up. They probably just didn't know, and they had all sorts of inertia and bureaucratic reasons, which are worth criticizing for not publicly stating that. But, you know, they're hurting their own citizens, and they're create- making a worse epidemic by intentionally covering it up. If, that, if anything, it's like, they're bu- for lots of bureaucratic reasons, they didn't want to say that. But, but by I, the time yeah. they figured it out, they did actually start saying it, and they, you know... They did a pretty good job of stopping it by that point. I, I think there are certain things that can be sort of said that there are theories out there that are probably are extremely racist in their origins and are only exist because they advance a racist agenda, right? Obviously, all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff about like black criminality, for example, 
are things that are discussed in very bad faith, right? Um, and, you know, they're linked to genetics or something like that. The type of stuff that, ironically, Nicholas Wade might have dabbled in before, <laughs> right? But I don't think the lab leak is that, right? And I think that people kind of need to grow up a little bit. And like, there's this real impulse that says if somebody, if, if, if anything that's put out there makes somebody feel threatened in any sort of way, then it shouldn't be discussed. And that it's, that it's, and that there's a lot of efforts to make it seem invalid and outside of the realm of conversation. And I get why people who are Asian American who are scared right now don't want to talk about this thing because they think it'll lead to more anger about China. But I don't know. I guess my responses are two. A, like that cat's already out the bag, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's It's like most people blame this on China, China. Most people equate Asian Americans with Chinese people, you know, and uh, it's not good. You know, we're in a bad space. Like we can all admit that, but like sort of covering up the last part of this. Right. And maybe even something that might even help. Like it might just be that like if people think that it was the Chinese government acting independently, maybe they won't, you know, focus it on. Asian people, if they also think that the Chinese people were victims of their own government, you know, yeah. like there are other scenarios. Now, will yeah. that happen? Probably not, you know, but like, do we absolutely know that a lab leak theory being like sort of taken on as being as uh, as uh, the most probable explanation will lead to an explosion of anti-Asian hate crimes? I don't think so. You know, I don't think we know that. And I don't think that we should discuss things just based on whether or not they might cause us personal discomfort, you know? Yeah. And that I think is sort of at the core of a lot of this stuff. It's like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. people being like, I don't want more anti-Asian hate crimes. And so I'm only going to tailor the news so that it, you know, leads to more comfort for me. Yeah. That's a very bad way to go about it. And it actually falls right into the things that all these sort of culture warriors are saying that you do, yeah. you know? Um, and then, you know, you kind of, you don't want to make your life based on only not doing the things they say you do, but this one, I think we can say that we shouldn't do. I don't know. That's my sense. (laughs) Well, I do wonder like what would be gained from proving it. There was one of these articles, uh, I think it might be Young's article talking about international cooperation along the lines of what Tammy was saying, where I almost feel like it was being suggested. I don't want to misattribute this to her if this is not what she said, but someone was, I felt to me like they were saying it's almost might be better not to even or to like fixate less on the origins because no matter mm-hmm. what the origins are um, it'll only motivate the sort of it'll only increase us chinese antagonism and the most important thing is cooperation on vaccines uh, and so on and you know i think uh, you know maybe we should stop doing this gain of function research you know maybe the international community can come to an agreement on that and so on but if it does become like this which hunt against the Chinese Wuhan laboratory, even if it has the right, and even if there's merit to it, um, that'll only like lead to like further sort of like sovereignty battles between the US and China, where like mm-hmm. China won't share its information, the United States will stop sharing its information, then every country will stop sharing their information and so on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I don't know, there, there's part of me, I mean, a lot of these articles point out like they're that. What a lot of this I might be pointing to is like scientific hubris has reached a certain point with a lot of this research. Uh, and this is where the nuclear weapon analogy kind of comes in, where there's a lot of questioning earlier on that like nuclear weapons research, you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do more research on like nuclear weapons and nuclear power and so on. That There was a big push against that stuff. And so a lot of people are making comparisons between COVID um, and like, 
and, and gain a function research with like Three Mile Island or Chernobyl as right. those turning points where people are like, all right, we can just like, even if it does, it didn't come from this laboratory, the possible, the, the fact that it could have come from this laboratory might be, this might be a good sign that we should stop messing around. Yeah, I think that's, I think we should stop this shit, right? <laughs> yeah. It's quite obvious to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, I but I basically don't know enough. I'm sure the gain of function debate has existed for a long time in different contexts. So I don't yeah. know if there's like another non like deadly virus version of gain of function research that yeah. maybe is fine. I don't know. I mean, they would say like, well, if they did more gain of function research, they could create a vaccine in advance. of the next Yeah, pandemic. exactly. Like, oh I think there God. are legitimate uh, arguments, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I did you guys see the Americans? <laughs> No. no, I didn't like. I keep show. thinking about that because there's a scene. Remember where, the um, answer to "Have I seen? Have we seen a TV show?" is always no. <laughs> yeah, you guys, I watch too much TV. But anyway, like there is a really good episode about like when the Russians were like the fake Russians in the show were making these like incredible insects that would like decimate all of the wheat in America or whatever. Mm. Anyway, I keep thinking about that. But that yeah, so I mean, now. yeah, exactly. Like. I guess the thing is, like, when we develop bioweapons and other things like that, we don't call those gain-of-function research. Yeah. But that's another version of it, and it's a lot worse. Like, there are things, I think, also that exist in more, like, military contexts that are going to be able to exempt themselves. We should definitely (laughs) stop all of that shit. But, like, I guess my point is, like, we don't even – that's not even in the conversation when we talk about this sort of biological research. So my my point is just that we are doing a lot of other really, really harmful things that aren't even coming into kind of scientific discourse or critique. I see it as, like, a line that you draw – and then everything above the line, you just get rid of, you know? So like, That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Everything, I support that. This and everything worse. I can't draw the line, but, you know, someone should. Yeah. Is my only point. Um, okay. Let's switch <laughs> topics here. Um, uh, this is where we would have a music break if uh, the show was better <laughs> produced. But I don't know. I find that <laughs> All right. That, w- that, that goes as our music break. Um, okay. Vincent Chen. We all watched Who Killed Vincent Chin. Had you seen it before? I had not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a long and time it, ago. Yeah. Did you, Jay? I had seen it a long time ago before, too. Actually, I wasn't even sure if I had seen it. I know I had seen it, but then like 20 minutes into the version, that the watching it again, I was like, have I seen this? I was like, is this the right, <laughs> is this the right link? But it was the right link. Uh, I sort of figured it out by the end. Um, Vincent Chin is in the news quite a bit. Uh, I don't know. I don't have to explain who Vincent Chin is to the listeners of this podcast. But Tammy, why, why, why is Vincent Chin in the news? Yeah, sure. So in late May, it was announced that Gemma Chen, the actress, and a bunch of other really famous Asians like Kelly what's her, Tran, right? Ah, I don't know the names <laughs> of famous, famous Asians. Really famous. <laughs> whose names I oh don't my God, know. Whose names I don't know, including, anyway, Kelly Tran, John Cho, blah, blah, blah. I'm Jeremy sorry, Lin. Okay. John Cho. Yeah, Jeremy oh, Lin. Yeah. Everyone, Jeff Yang, everyone was involved. Yeah. No, I don't know. Um, um, but basically John there was like Wu. a script, like a, like a biopic script version of Vincent Chin, as opposed to the documentary, which is the film that we're talking about. And in, they turned it into a podcast and basically launched it. And then the next day, Helen Zia, a very famous Asian American journalist who had been an advocate for the family in the early days right after Vincent Chin was murdered, um, came out with like a pretty actually generous Instagram post saying like, I wish this story well because everyone should know this. But also it's weird that the people involved didn't contact me or anyone in the family of Vincent Chin. And then basically by June 7th, the entire podcast was canceled and dropped offline. 
Um, so, you know, it's raising all kinds of interesting questions about like, you know, I guess the ethics of representation of this kind of story and how far we're extending our sort of historical analogies around anti-Asian violence. Who owns this story? Do they belong to Asian America? Who's Asian America? Um, so it, you know, I think it's a good chance to kind of reevaluate it. And, you know, we obviously talk about it a lot too, because we always include it in our, like, <laughs> in our summary of Asian American history, the making right. of Asian American history, the 1980s. Third World Liberation Front, Chin, Grace right? Box, yeah. Yuri Kachiyama, Vincent Chin. Right. Yeah. This is like Jay, Jay's bugbear. So, you know, I think it's, it's good fodder for us, but you know, I think, it, I think there's a lot of interesting grist here. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, I, I was, I was totally fascinated. This, like, so some of the more of the background is like, yeah, they turned it into a screenplay and they tried to have it made and then nobody oh, like, right. they couldn't yeah. really find a buyer for it. And so they decided to do it as a table read, which I guess is something where like actors sit down and read a script around mm-hmm. a table. And so then they recorded this and they were going to put it out as a podcast. And uh, there are a lot of Vincent Chin projects out there right now. Um, and so this one, I guess, was not picked up by a studio. I don't know if people know this, but, you know, there is some interest, I would say, more than usual about making Asian stories right now for obvious reasons, you know. And so um, this was there's a lot of people in Hollywood right now who are sort of trying to get a lot of Asian projects made. Um, Mm -hmm. And that includes like these dudes who made hyphen media. Right. We can talk about that a little bit because I think (laughs) it's actually quite interesting. relevant which is like you know these two guys made this one was like an executive and the other one is i think also like a tv executive and they uh made this podcast company for like quote diverse stories about asian americans and of course hyphen is the name of a magazine that already existed it was a nonprofit <laughs> magazine that yeah. uh has been around for what like 20 years or something like that yeah, i remember reading in years. fucking graduate school you know yeah and they just didn't care like i don't buy this explanation that they didn't know like, you know, like anytime you start any type of corporation, even like for this fucking podcast, which we just started like in our basements, basically, and thought there would only be three <laughs> episodes, we look to see if there are other things called time to say goodbye, <laughs> you know, like it's Besides so it's yeah. absolutely yeah. absurd that they did like to believe that they didn't know. Like, you know, they had a, they have right. lawyers, they have full incorporation, they have something called hyphen capital that funds this stuff. Like, give me a fucking break. Of course you Ugh. do, you know? And either if you didn't know, it means that nobody should work with you because you're like criminally negligent, you know? So it's one <laughs> of the two. And it's obviously the first. So they knew and they just didn't care, you know? Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think that's sort of like an actual valid critique of Hollywood Asians, you know? Like that it's a group that is totally not connected to the uh, sort of, previous activists like i don't want I, I obviously don't like this like sort of like gatekeeping type of function that a lot of these people do but like it is true when like you have uh these stories that have been told in the past when you take from all these people's sources when you read these books when you take from these documentaries and you take from books that have been written uh and you're and you just make something and you don't credit anyone at all you forget you pretend that all this didn't exist and that basically yeah. it's being birthed for the first time by a bunch of like you know like craven tv executives in hollywood who don't give a shit about anything except making money yeah. like fuck you yeah. you know like fuck you like it's it's like like i don't know what else the response should be and it's like i don't know i think that people get this uh people get in this trap where they think like oh well you know it's representation it's good for us you know it's good to have more people who look like us on tv like fuck that you know if this, this if this is what it's going to be just theft Those you know dudes how white- never responded right to the no hyphen they changed thing? the name the hyphen oh they they're going to change the name yeah 
Oh, Did they have an apology or an explanation or anything? I don't know about that, but they talked to the hyphen magazine people and they changed the name. Oh, I okay. see. Oh, but like, like that's better. But like it's that, so like funny. the the best case, like the best case scenario that like you can think about for them, which is that they just didn't know. I just don't believe. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, there's zero chance they didn't. Yeah. Know. Um, I mean, it, yeah. or it's like, yeah, or they're like, or they're idiots. You know. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry to rant about that. It's not about Vincent Chin, but I think that's sort of the impetus behind all of this, right? Is that we have this disconnection right now between what the actual stories are, what they should mean, what the history and context of them are, and then this sort of like attempt to blast them everywhere, you know, because it's like profitable in Hollywood right now to do so. Um, I don't know. I think it sucks. What what kinds of stuff do you think people are buying in Hollywood? um, I don't know. I have no idea. If I knew that, I would sell these things. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when you say people are buying, did you sell something? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's I, I. I don't know. I think it's. Uh, I. I don't know what they're buying. Um, but you know, like Minari was, which we all approve of and all think are was great. You mm-hmm. know, like and is not beholden to any of these things, right? Mm-hmm. That was big. Big success. Yeah. The farewell was a big success. Yeah. You know? Um, and you're saying like want... the, the ramp up for Asian stuff is in response to Asian, anti-Asian violence. Oh, for sure. The news. Yeah. 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 And the sort of yeah. Like, Why uh, else would there be yeah. five Vincent Chin projects going on at the same time yeah. or however many there are, right? So what like, are the other ones? Yeah. Are there, there's movies and TV shows? And... I don't know. There are other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So and there might this... be another podcast happening. I have no idea. <laughs> Tell me. Mm. like a more journalistic podcast yeah um, I yeah um so I've what just, did you guys think rewatching watching it or watching oh, yeah. it for so the first time returning do you think to... it's a successful doc yeah um i was a little surprised watching it that um i don't want to i think i'm when i'm i don't know i feel i feel weird saying what i'm about to say because i've always been told that vincent chin is this kind of landmark case for the Asian American movement. And it was this like textbook mm-hmm. case of racism by a white guy scapegoating Vincent Chin for being, you know, Chinese slash Japanese and so on. I was a little surprised that the case itself was like, uh, it just kind of, I mean, I, if we take his word for it, there was just a bar fight. Okay. Maybe there was some racial stuff thrown in there in the course of it, but it didn't seem like it was um, as open and shut as I was kind of led to believe before I watched the documentary. Hmm. Um, right. So the detail, like basically everyone's understanding of Vincent Chin case is that Vincent Chin was out on a bachelor party and some dudes in a parking lot came up to him drunk and they were like, Hey, you Asian guy, your, your Japanese cars are the reasons why we're out of work and they killed him. Right. Something but, like that. Yeah. But, yeah. But that's not, that's, that's not really true. Right. Like there is a, fight inside of the strip club before yeah vincent chin seems to have hit the two people the there's not too much like there is one of the dancers said that he said you little guys are why we're out of work right um and then the actual killing happened like down the street at a mcdonald's right so all of that right 20 minutes later um and so yeah andy i agree with you i think that the and I think this is to uh, Renee Tajima and Christine Choi's great credit is that like, you know, I think they were real documentarians here. You yeah. Know? Like I think they, they, I think that that film 
is about or the film is much more ambiguous than you know the the way that it's been presented totally. afterwards and that was a little bit surprising watching it again tammy do you feel the same way yeah yeah i think that's right although i think to me that also is about the argument that we've been having since march um with the atlanta massacre which is that that's the context in which hate crimes also occur like wh- right. whatever we are calling hate crimes are these incredibly ambiguous weird things that happen in the heat of the moment animated yeah. initially often by just random violence or other sorts of urges yeah. and then all this other shit comes in that we read on top of it you know so i mean yeah because the two murders i mean i guess i don't have any reason to think they aren't racist pigs because i think at one point in the film helen zia mentions a pre-sentencing report that lists some testimony by other people about right. like particular racism that these people harbored but yeah i mean in the heat of the moment it was also a bar fight it was also this thing that occurred like yeah i mean i thought one of the interesting things i think about the film also is that it has kind of like a feminist gloss in terms of like the the sort of you know work and play aspects of like men in this industry and going to these strip clubs and the fact that like sex workers who had like witnessed a lot of the that sort of lead up to the murder, like weren't questioned and stuff. And anyway, so to me, like, yeah, yeah. All of that is like incredibly complex. And yeah, um, I think it's like a really well done documentary. Like it's so kind of smooth. I I thought so too. And, you know, Tammy, uh, sort of going off what you were saying, it was also, you know, it also talked about the criminal justice system in ways that were, you know, not like hit you over the head thing, but even, I just remember that part where there's like a white dancer and then there's a black dancer, right? And like basically the jury all believed the white dancer and didn't believe the black dancer, didn't find her credible, even though they were basically saying the same thing, you know? Yeah. Like they, they weren't saying anything different, but well, they were just the white like, dancer yeah, was know. the only one who claims that. Right, 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 right. She's right. the one that overheard yeah. like them say, you little people are why we out of work, or right. you little guy or what, is why Another we're out of work. I think little fucker was the word. <laughs> Oh yeah, little yeah. fucker, whatever it was. <laughs> but like, uh, oh yeah, and then apparently Vincent Chin said, "I'm not a little fucker" or something like that, right? Yeah, little fucker, big but fucker. um, doesn't matter. But yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I found it to be. I actually had not watched it probably since college or something like that. That's and I, what, and yeah, I, same. Yeah, and I was, I was expecting much more of a polemic, but it's not a polemic, right? It yeah. is not like it's not like some sort of like, uh, big political thing that is meant to incite people into a type of consciousness i don't think at least i think it's a documentary you know and the access that renee uh it's renee tajima right like that she got to um to the two to the to the older guy who you know ended up swinging the bat that killed vincent chin like the murderer yeah um it's incredible I have no it idea why he really agreed like, to that. I can't believe I that he know. agreed he's to actually, that interview. He's agreed to a lot. Nevins is his name, right? Ev- yeah. Evans, Evans, Nevins. Evans. 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 Evans, yeah. He's agreed to a lot of interviews if you look it up. He interviewed, I know. He talked, you know, right, he, right. Tammy showed us, right. he talked to Michael Moore, you know, Roger and right. Michael Moore in the 80s. Right. It's really. Right. And he's talked to um, several people in the 2010s. Uh, right. His life I saw 34 that. years later. Bizarre. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the parallel with Atlanta is that, like, the the incident itself is one thing, but then the thing that kind of gets people mad all over again, or even mad, madder, is the way that it gets treated by, you know, in the case of Atlanta was the, I don't know, it was like the police chief saying, like, he just had a bad day, you know? And right. in this case, it would be the judge being like, these aren't the kind of guys you want to put away for life. Like, they're just, they're totally normal, nice guys. So right. we're just going to, you know, put, uh, give them a $3,000 fine. And, um, let them move on so that that itself is almost like a separate issue from 
the events themselves, which, you know, even today we still, you know, I guess we'll find out more with um, the trial in Atlanta, but like, it's still like ambiguous what, I, I still feel like I, I, I don't really know what happened in Atlanta, you know, the day of the shootings. I mean, I think, well, I no, think I mean, I think Atlanta was like racially, like motivated yeah, by race sure. and gender <clears throat> for sure. But it's like, yeah, I bet I think like what's, you know, what's complicating in the, in the Vincent Chin thing, as you were saying, is just that like it, it potentially kind of started as something else, but it also, you know, is contained in these sure. people's like psyches, their hatred, their resentments, the fact that this guy's son-in-law was laid off or whatever, you know, and these yeah. kind of details that come in this incredibly right. like vicious anti-Asian environment of the eighties with the coming out of the financial crash and all that. So yeah. yeah, but yeah, just the ambiguity. I mean, we keep coming back to that. It's just like really complex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I also think the guy in Atlanta, the Atlanta shooter will be, put on death row a hundred percent chance. That's, yeah. Almost, and that's right? a big difference yeah. obviously between right. Right. the Evans yeah. case in 20, 2021, you know? Um, right. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's a byproduct of all the activism and not, maybe not just of the activism after Vincent Chin, but like everything that's happened in the intervening four decades. Um, um, so I have this friend who like, basically he works in Asian America. I won't say his name, but like he, you know, said to me once that, he believes there's like a Vincent Chin industrial complex, basically, you know, that it was this moment where a lot of Asian American activism was born, which is true. Right. And it was mm-hmm. after a long, I don't know, please don't yell at me if, uh, you know, and point out the 15 like acronyms that were still active during this period, you know, but it was at the end of like sort of a dormancy period. Uh, post like third world liberation front and stuff like that. Right. Um, yes, yes, yes. All the other things did exist too, but, um, it, it was a reignition of that, uh, of that, of that, of Asia. Of, of, and it was sort of redirection of Asian American activism. And his contention is not that Vincent Chin's, uh, murder doesn't matter, you know, but he's basically said that it actually takes up too much space in the conversation about Asian Amer- what Asian America is, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. um, this is like one incident. It's uh, and that like if we just center everything around trauma and this like murder and an unjust um, outcome, which I I don't know. I don't think most people would say it was a just outcome, right? Sure, um, no. Including like people in you know white people in Detroit that that Renee and Christine Choi interview yeah. you know they're just like i don't know if you kill someone with a bat you probably should go to jail a little bit and even evens was like basically i was prepared yeah. to go to jail yeah, because i realized that, that i killed amazing. somebody with a bat you yeah. know <laughs> um yeah. uh what do you guys think about that does it take up too much space like is it too central of a narrative As a put, like, like is it, i guess no sorry like, yeah, you know, same I, with the third world liberation. You, I think, I, I think we all agree that third world liberation front takes up too much space, you know, well, is Vincent is, Chin is the complaint that it's too much victimization rather than like success stories and that kind of well, thing. Well, there are a lot of critiques yeah, that, that one could question. levy. One thing I was thinking was that it is certainly pretty carceral thinking to yeah. basically say that yeah. like the most unjust thing that ever happened to us is that somebody after, you know, uh, didn't go to jail, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, for the rest of their lives. Right. So that would be one criticism of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh that of course you saw that call it a hate crime wave right now it's the same thing yeah right like why is it not a hate crime for us why are these people not going to jail longer now that's a very niche and you know small criticism of it but it's more like you know like uh does vincent chin really encapsulate what asian america is like yeah you know right like is it all about like injustices that are placed upon us you know 
Is it about like when we're killed, we don't get justice, right? Is that really the story of Asian America? Yeah. Probably not, yeah, that's you know? Interesting. And so then why does this, not that that doesn't happen, not that injustice doesn't happen, but is it so endemic that it needs to be the centerpiece of all conversations and the place that people go to immediately? That's that's a question I'm asking. I see. Yeah. I actually, I guess my the, the point that I would raise with your friend if I were arguing about this would be to say, I don't know. I think that there's a useful thing about the Vincent Chin symbology, which is that it points to the ways in which like the domestic and the international for Asian immigrants like is always present. You know, and I think also the kind of the way that like if you see the way that we talk about China now, like yeah. all of this kind of like foreign industrial policy stuff is, you know, ubiquitous and like seems to just like be with us forever. So in that sense, that's like how I always kind of think about Vincent Chin, like it points to that part of mm. it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's a real thing. And I think also the fact that this took place in the Midwest in a place we don't necessarily think about like Asian Americanness. Mm-hmm. was useful. I mean, not yeah. to, yeah. All right. So I don't know. Maybe I disagree with your friend on that, in that sense. Hey, what do you think? Um, I think the, I think what Tammy is pointing to is the direction I would also like to go to, but I'm not sure the documentary is going in that direction, but also could just be like, it's a product of its time, which is the eighties where um, globalization is just like really beginning to have its, I mean, this is like the very first big, impact of globalization on the u.s economy well that's not true but you know it's like a, it's one of the most like celebrated yeah. big, big, big early imp- 80s like yeah <laughs> that's everyone true. is gonna talk yeah everyone redirect your anger about me for forgetting 15 <laughs> asian america get- yeah to yell at andy it for just seems like all the all the economic uh globalization impact they, <laughs> a lot of checking in, this in the 80s they seemed very naive about how big this shit was gonna get I guess that's right, what I'm saying. Right. Like about, they were like, if we just stop Japanese cars, then the U.S. auto industry will be <laughs> back in business. You know what I'm saying? And that obviously was not never going to happen. Um, so maybe if they redid the documentary in the 21st century, they would focus a lot more on the international stuff, which is what I think was the, I think, the th- stuff think that they I found. didn't focus a lot on it. I thought yeah, they I did. Yeah, I feel like it came through. Like that guy on the bus, you know, who's like sort of the big white dude. Yeah. who's like I was uh, curious. Is that, like, that wasn't documentary. Like that was like reenactment or something, right? No, 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 no. He was like saying, like, "Hey, uh, Volkswagen, you know, when yeah, that like was Volkswagen was also a problem, you know. Like, we don't care about like Mercedes Benzes and shit like that, you yeah. know, but we just care about cars that kind of compete with our cars, you yeah. know. And yeah. um, like, folks, he said, like Volkswagen was also a problem, you know, but they just didn't think about it as much as the Japanese cars, yeah. which is interesting, you know. Yeah. And um, the car and cartoon." Right, yeah, right, right, right. That was amazing. There was like an anime for people who haven't seen it. There's an animation where there's just like swarms of insect, like Japanese cars, like yeah, right. attacking the country. Yeah, and like the uh, the uncanniness of that with like the way China's talked about today, or I think I brought up American Factory, the Netflix documentary about yeah Chinese car windshield makers coming into Ohio. Right, like the the parallels are there. I think like the overall narrative arc though of the argument that the documentary is making is something that i think like naomi was kind of saying which is that um asians will attain citizenship by gaining uh you know by getting other people in jail for the crimes committed against them so it's i think overall it's still sort of we start off as being perceived yeah, as foreign but ultimately the way justice will be achieved for asian americans is to be uh, americans right and like we, we once were foreign 
but we shouldn't be seen as foreign and it's unfair. Right. Well, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's stance on for on, on the foreign auto industry stuff is like very, um, what's the word at, uh, what's the word where you don't have this, you don't have agnostic. Antag- no, agnostic. Agnostic. agnostic, agnostic, yeah, not atheist, yeah. agnostic. Right. Um, but to me, that's obviously like the really interesting stuff that we still have yet to work out, uh, in the U S yeah. Right. I think, yeah, and I like. I think that for this film now is 20, 30, 35 years old, right? Yeah. And so, um, wow, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to judge it by like <laughs> right. what it took out, but I, I agree with you, Andy, that if they were going to remake it, they would probably focus on China and whatever, right? Because that's where Vincent actually is from. But like, uh, I don't know. I think that for it to be a proper metaphor, we would have to believe that some of these uh, anti-Asian resentments that are happening in America right now mm-hmm. are founded on like a rising China and competition and, um, you know, imports and uh, the hauling out of American industry because of a foreign power and over-reliance on trade. Right. That's probably true. Yeah. 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 So, and I think I went from I think it Japan is an to China I think pretty it, quickly. The South right, it's an, app, it's an app metaphor. <laughs> totally. And so yeah. I think it do, It should occupy some part of the conversation, but it's not. that's not how it's occupying the conversation. Right, yeah. It is occupying Fair the enough. conversation yeah. in a sense of this injustice happened, right. someone was killed, and they yeah. didn't get justice. And no that, one cares about us. They don't punish right, when right. it's us. And that corollary is obviously going to be sought like within – Basically, why is it when a black person is killed by the cops, the cops aren't? Pro- it's the same sort of. Right. It's like we need to find justice because of the criminal justice system, right? right like that's right. that's sort of the basis of it now, and that's just because you know all, all like most racial politics are copies of other racial politics, specifically black racial politics, and that the Asian version of the racial politics is about somebody who didn't get justice when killed by racist people, right? Like yeah. that's mm-hmm. uh, that's the way it's going to always be mm-hmm. framed. And from that, I do think that like maybe it does, you know, if like that version of it, I think actually does probably take up too much space within the conversation. Now, what would we replace it with? I don't, you know, we have the same answers every time, you know, like working class stories of, you know, (laughs) whatever, you know, people are tired of hearing of it. But like, I don't know. I, I think that my, that my friend's analysis in this isn't necessarily wrong. But um, it is. But yeah, I do think yeah. that there is a version of this that would be co- that I think would be cool, but I don't think it's discussed very much. What was the context for yeah. you two to watch it originally? Thirty or something? You guys aren't that old. Ten, five years ago. Thanks, when Andy. You're in, when you're in college. <laughs> yeah. Well, nineteen I, when I watched it in college, right after it came out in 1988. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't remember. Was it like I think extracurricular? I like, or yeah, yeah I think or? that mine was extracurricular, like through Asian American or student organizing, something like that. I think I saw it in the library. I spent a lot, I worked in the library in college and grad school. And I think I saw it in the library or something. I just watched it, um, you know. Yeah. Because uh, I sometimes I just sat in the reserve reading set, you know, I was like the reserve reading desk guy. Oh, that's fun. We just set up a little TV and watch, and yeah, nobody. Yeah. yeah. I spent three years as a reserve reading guy. That sounds at, really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At Columbia, too. I was a, a the circulation desk guy at Butler Library. Oh, really? Yeah, and Butler. I, oh. I must yeah, have checked out a book I, from you before, honestly. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I would check I mean, out I would like just... whole shelves of debate books. And... 
Oh yeah, well that, those people are super. Oh, annoying. Andy. <laughs> I swear, there, the I'm, I'm, there might be a movie where I check out. Wait, what book. year was it? So I, check I was book like from 2000, you. and then you're. I think later. I was there from 2003 <laughs> to 2005. This is like a like bad that. Korean, yeah, like a there. gay Korean drama when like Andy and Jay, like the flashback to like when you met 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's the ending credits is like the first time we met in 2003. Yeah, there was a 2016. <laughs> Or there's a guy at the time who was like a philosophy PhD student, and he had he was like had been a philosophy PhD student probably for like thirty years or something, <laughs> and he had like twenty six hundred books checked out of the oh library. Wait, is, really? Yeah, his name is Stanley. And every time he would come up with more bucks, I'd be like, Stanley, come on, just return some of these bucks, you know? And so then uh, <laughs> it turns out that he just had this apartment. You know, obviously he had some mental health issues, yeah, yeah. but. Uh, Apparently, he just had them all in his apartment, like just oh stacked God. up from floor to ceiling. Um, Did they find out about it? Did well, find one it? of my friends went to his apartment. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, wow. I, I remember just being stunned. I was like, why are you allowed to do this? Yeah, I know. Like, he would, he would like, check out all the science fiction. Basically, the Butler Library had no science fiction books because, like, Stanley had checked them all out, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he refused to return <laughs> all of them. Wow. Oh, my God. Right, and so I would just be like, like, Stanley, come on. You know, we're a library here. Like, just be, like, normal, you know? Or, like, not even just, like, can you just be fair to the other people who might need That's these books? so many. But he was cool. <laughs> I don't know. I found it to be very fun yeah, to talk to. But... It's kind of touching and sad. Yeah. I wonder, yeah, yeah I wonder um, if, um, I don't know, college-aged Asian-Americans in 2021 are interested in Vincent Chin. Oh, for sure. I think so. Yeah. Probably yeah. resurgence, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I don't know what they, like, I think that for a lot of those programs, it's still the same stuff, you know? It's like Radical 60s, Vincent Chin. It's definitely um, on, on the main kind of syllabus, I think, right. <laughs> of Asian-American studies. And it definitely is a big thing in Asian-American fraternities. Yeah, you learn about right. No, not because I was in yeah, one, yeah. but because I read the <laughs> article. I don't know. I feel like I didn't. I never watched it, and would not have watched it if not for today's episode. There's still a part of me that I would just like not want to. I, I don't know why. Um, Internalized racism. You're contrarian. Yeah, or maybe it's yeah. just like you don't want to. You don't actually want to like learn about the actual. I mean, it was very disturbing to read about or to learn about. I don't know right, if it's right. extra disturbing. You know, because of the Asian aspect, or it's all murders are kind of disturbing to listen to learn about. But yeah, it definitely wasn't like. I, one thing I couldn't figure out online, uh, just from researching, is whether the guy, the the son-in-law who was participated in the murder, um, anything happened yeah. to him with regards to the union. Like, I was just curious because, like, I assume he's United <laughs> Auto Workers and. Have- <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm incorrigible. But like, yeah, I mean, it's like well, dude, I was the just most like, stereotypical Tammy. I know, possible. I'm sorry. But like, because like, Eben's like the kill, the main killer guy, like he was a supervisor, so he wasn't in the union. He lost but his like, job immediately, yeah. Yeah, was and it? he lost his job. But like, the son-in-law was a laid off guy, which means he still had his union credits or whatever and mm-hmm. could be placed into another job. But he's obviously like a murderer. Anyway, I ask this because like that union also, you know, coming out of the 60s had so many race problems Mm -hmm. and was like very racist in terms of its discrimination against like black and other minority workers in the area. So and the fact that Vincent Chin was like an engineer and in the documentary kind of posited as like the second generation, you know, success story after his working class parents, I think is like a really fascinating kind of class triangulation. Or I thought there was a I don't know if you all caught I feel feel like the film was definitely doing this race triangulation thing at one moment where the cops 
and the no not the judge was white the killers yeah. were white the victim was chinese and the people who were not asked meaning the cops the eyewitnesses were all yeah. almost all black and I there was this very much like so interesting though though the white supremacy government or the people who make the decisions right ignored the black and the chinese like almost right. like totally. there was like black the Asian crime happened in a totally. black neighborhood right too, and the Detroit. black officers yeah. and the black um, and the dancer police were both, like, people who are around the black, right eyewitnesses were um so I, I don't, yeah I don't, i'm I, sure all that was true yeah like um, uh um i also found it interesting how they were using images of solidarity like uh having you know at the early marches there were a lot it seemed to be a lot of black people at those early marches for vincent chin and then jesse jackson came and spoke yeah. like stood next to the mother um yeah. Those types of scenes, uh, hard to imagine today, you know? Um, and I think that that was like a poignant, Why? not because I yeah. think that there's like a lack of concern within, you know, the black activist spaces around this stuff. But uh, I just think that like the larger question is about anti, uh, blackness within the Asian community, you know, and yeah. that's like it, the, those types of solidarity politics are much harder to find these days, except in, if you look at like everything that happened last summer. Uh, mm-hmm. which was not really framed as solidarity politics, but obviously was because it's like yeah. tons of different people. Yeah. But um, that kind of like big show, like we're going to go to your thing because you came to our thing. Like that, that's what I mean. Like that, that's yeah, yeah. like hard. You think to, that like, wouldn't happen today? Out. Well, I don't know if it wouldn't happen. It's just hard to imagine yeah. happening today. Like who would even be the Jesse Jackson that would do right. that? You know, I know. Um, it would probably still be Jesse Jackson. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> 35 years oh, later, man. it's still Jesse Jackson. I mean, I was the, the way it was being framed was that the Asian population in Detroit was really small. I don't really know the numbers, but that to the extent that they were being politicized, they were being folded within this already existing community right. of mostly black activists and, right. Or, right. or within this ongoing dynamic between black and white groups in Detroit and Asian Americans was such a small fraction. And that's, and the, that's why this moment was this sort of early pioneering moment because the number, yeah. but I don't know if the numbers are really that small. I think that's right. Yeah, um, that's I think that's right. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about this? I mean, I'm sorry mm-hmm. to rant about these, you know, I don't know. I just think like, it's like, just to put a fine point on it. I don't think that Asian American sort of, uh, activist academics should gatekeep everything that happens, you know? Yeah. But I think it's okay for them to say this thing these things that we worked on for years with no credit, you know, yeah. the only people who care, are like the kids that we teach that uh, maybe it's okay for you guys to like ask us, you know, for a little bit of help or whatever. And yeah. if you're just going to take all of our work and turn it into these massively profitable things, then like, just don't do that, you know? And I don't know. I just, I just yeah. like, I, I guess it's just like, you know, Tammy, you and I work in the media and, you know, um, like we've had our own run-ins with this type of stuff or our own interaction with this type of <laughs> stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I think there's a way to be like, res- you know, just respectful and uh, to not see this as this gold rush that you need to strip it, like, you know, strip everything away and keep everything for yourself. I hope that's not what what's happening, but it does seem kind of what's happening to certain people, Yeah, you know? And I don't want to like paint too broad of a brush, but like, that hyphen magazine thing made me so mad, you know, it was just like, <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? You know, like, why, why would you do this? You know, like, like how little respect do you have? Have a, just have a little bit of respect. Yeah. It's like these people, 
like how much do you think like the editor-in-chief of hyphen magazine made a year like 20 that like like oh, zero zero dollars volunteer yeah, yeah. Like maybe no like, one ever got paid there like negative twenty thousand dollars a year you know <laughs> like like come on you know like and you're you're stripping the legacy of this thing so you can do some like vc capital funded thing that like uh tries to generate ip for movies by doing podcasts made by like diverse uh storytellers of that we haven't heard from yet and then your entire roster is like successful tv writers come on get the fuck out of here you know anyway <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, we should have tip our listener and friend to Chris Fenn, who was one of the hyphen founders. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Shout out to Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad they're changing the name. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. At the very like, least. Yeah. It's like one of those things where I kind of wish there was more public humiliation. You know? But then it seemed like everybody who's like notable kind of uh, was mad, you know? All the mayors to, of Asian America. Yeah, everyone who would matter to that group of people, like, were, you know, they were mad, and, as they should have been. You know, it's good. It was a good moment of, like, Asian American solidarity within the media. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck these dudes. I guess rich Asians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, we do this once or twice a week. And um, if you want to get into, if you want to support the show, go to goodbye.substack.com where you have an option to get all of our bonus materials and join our discord for five dollars a month or you can go to patreon.com slash ttsgpod where you can do the same thing basically um if you want to get in touch with us it's time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or you can just reach us at twitter at ttsgpod our dms are open um i don't know do you guys have anything last you want to say i didn't mean to abruptly just run into the last thing we have an event this Saturday that we promoted last week. Um, What's that? The Asian American. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Asian American Writers oh, Workshop. Next Saturday. Yeah. Oh, it was next, next Saturday. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's why I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. January 26th, we will be part of the Asian American Writers Workshop uh, publishing Yeah, the uh, Page conference. Turner Publishing right. Conference. And uh, we will be giving a talk about podcasting, which you might find very ironic. You know, like, who the, why, what the fuck? advice do these idiots have to give about <laughs> it's how I feel all the time you know like, well we learned how to use Zencaster and uh, I bought like a microphone <laughs> that's about it <laughs> okay thanks for listening to the show we'll talk to you next week bye